Welcome to the Biotech and Breweries Podcast. This is your host, Dan Schroeder. For today's episode, we've got James Mackay, the CEO of RS Dea Therapeutics. This conversation had some technical difficulties, which was definitely a learning experience, but it's still a great conversation. We're going to jump right into it. So James, now that we've got some beer in front of us here, we'd love to dig into your your background and learn about Aristea and what you guys are doing and what the future might hold. Yeah, sure, um, Daniel. It'd be great to start out with just maybe your backstory before, before the current company and kind of how you got your start and what got you to where you are today. Yeah, sure, Daniel. So first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. I, I appreciate it. And uh, Nice venue for us to, to yeah, do this and it good, is. good beer. Absolutely. Um, so you can probably tell from my accent that I'm originally from Scotland, uh, from a, a small fishing village up on the northeast of Scotland called Bucky, about 60 miles northwest of Aberdeen. It's probably the biggest city that people may recognize. Uh, originally uh, studied, uh, went to Aberdeen University, um, studied genetics and then medical genetics, and then uh, moved over to, did my degree in PhD there, and then uh, moved over to Toronto to do a postdoctoral fellowship. That was my first expedition into North America. After that, I came back to, uh, to England, worked in the CRO world for a little while, and then joined um, AstraZeneca, or was actually Imperial Chemical Industries, ICI, at the time. Britain's largest company eventually became AstraZeneca. And I ended up working for them for nearly 30 years. Great career. Started off my uh, career in the agrochemical, industrial chemical side of the business. And then after about 10 years doing that, moved across into pharmaceuticals. And I've been doing pharmaceuticals ever since. So, you know, 25 to 30 years now in the the life science space. And, you know, worked for 20 years in the UK. I led the clinical team that took Seroquel through to approval. That was treatment for schizophrenia and depression, became AstraZeneca's biggest selling drug. Then held various um, portfolio management project leader positions in clinical development, was ultimately the site head of clinical uh, for AstraZeneca in the UK. And then moved across to the US, initially to the East Coast near Philadelphia in 2010 to head up the diabetes collaboration with Bristol-Myers Squibb took several products through to approval from that. And then my last role at AstraZeneca is I led the AstraZeneca business development team that acquired um, another biotech here in San Diego called Ardea Biosciences. And I came down to San Diego to take over the, uh, the CEO role. Did that for five years, took a couple of products through to approval. And then when AstraZeneca decided it was time to... Uh, to close our day and move on to something different, I decided I needed to stay in San Diego, and that led to me uh, founding Aristea Therapeutics. What and that's uh, that's great. So it must have been a big change. I mean, Aristea is a is you know it's a much smaller company than what you were before. What's that feel like to go from these giant companies down to one where you're you're at the very ground floor and maybe in one room in some cases with with the team? Yeah, I mean it, it's it's very different. I mean I think I was lucky in that I. I went through a transition. I mean, you know, at my, I guess at the the maximum in in AstraZeneca, I had some 4,000 people working in the the part of the area that I was responsible for in in clinical development, you know, spread over, you know, 50 plus countries. When I moved to Ardea, Ardea was a smaller organization, about 100 people. So it was a kind of nice transition and it was run very independently from the, the big AstraZeneca organization. And it was a kind of natural transition to 
to move over to Aristea Therapeutics, which, you know, there were only four of us for the first two years. Yep. We've more than doubled the size of the company now, uh, but it's still small with yeah. uh, with nine people. But, you know, they, and I, I wouldn't say there's, um, there's not good or bad for either. It's just, sure. it's just different. Sure. And I, you know, had a fabulous career at AstraZeneca that gave me so much exposure to drug development, worked with so many good people who are part of my network now. I think the advantage of a small company is that, you know, everything you do is directly related to development of the drug. And you're very close to the patients that you're developing the drug for. So that's, you know, I think a big advantage of the small organization and very focused as well. I mean, we we don't have anything else that we focus on except the development of our uh, of our drugs. Yeah, very direct focus. Yeah. And how where did the name come from? It's a unique it's a unique name. Is there a backstory to it? Yeah, there is. So Aristea um, is a is a female Greek goddess that means the best of everything. Wow. Okay. Um, and I you know, I wish I could say that we actually picked the name like that to begin with, but when we started the company with we all put our heads together and we came up with a whole lot of different names. And the one that we all liked was Arista, A-R-I-S-T-A. Okay. And when we started to Google search that, there were hundreds of companies <laughs> called Arista. Yeah. Not necessarily a pharmaceutical company, but you know, we realized that it was going to be impossible from a, a search engine perspective. But we really liked the name. So one of the teams said, why don't we put an E before the A? Oh. And that became Aristea. And then when we started to look at Aristea, we found out it was this Greek goddess. Wow. Um, that so you means, thought you were making up a word. In reality, it was yeah, already a It was already existing. The Greek goddess that means the best of everything, which, okay. which was great. And then, you know, once we picked the, the name, we sat down with a, a designer. And uh, it was an amazing process, actually. Uh, in the space of about 20 minutes, he asked us about a dozen questions about the, what we saw as the the kind of heart of the company and the culture of the company. And he came up with the, the logo that we have that you can see on my shirt yeah. here. And the, the whole idea of the logo is this is a, you know, it's a puma or a, another big cat like that. Um, and it's all about two things, focus on the goal. And in the case of the puma, I guess it's prey. And then speed of execution. So being able to get from the start line to the finish line as, as rapidly as possible. And yep. so that's what's behind the logo and the, and the name. So I've asked that question to a few other companies in the past, and their answer to, for the name wasn't nearly as, as a common sense or you know, the, the backstory wasn't quite as interesting as what you just shared. So that's, no, that's good. That's great. Yeah. So what led to, to for the formation of the company? Where did, where did this come about? What, what, what led, led you to decide that, hey, I want to start a company and this is what we're going to do? And how did you pull it all together? Yeah, I mean, I think when I came to San Diego, it was my first exposure to biotech. I mean, I'd been in big pharma all my career. Yep. And, you know, I got the op great opportunity that AstraZeneca gave me to run an independent biotech here in San Diego. Um, you know, loved it from the minute that I arrived. So, and did that for five years. And then AstraZeneca decided, you know, they made a strategic decision that they didn't want to be in the therapy area that we were focused on. So, you know, I got the call from Pascal Sorio, the CEO, one day to say, you know, you need to license out the product. She got approved and you need to close the organization down. So, you know, did that. And, you know, a few of us, while we were... Uh, sort of crying in our beer over the fact that the organization was being closed down, started to talk about, well, you know, what are we, what are we going to do? And, you know, I wanted to stay in San Diego and, you know, we, we just said, well, why don't we, why don't we start something of our own? Yeah. And that was the, 
That was as simple as it was. And, you know, we, the first thing that we did was say, well, you know, if we're going to start a biotech, we're going to have to have a drug to, to work on. And again, that's where my, you know, long history with AstraZeneca paid dividends because, you know, I'd come across many drugs in the past, you know, a number of them which had been shelved for various reasons by AstraZeneca. And one in particular that we now call RIST4721. It a, was a, a small molecule. It's what's called a CXCR2 antagonist. It was a molecule I was very familiar with from my time there. Had been being developed by AstraZeneca for respiratory um, indications. And for just for portfolio reasons, AstraZeneca decided to stop working in that area. And I was in the portfolio review meeting when they made that decision. And, you know, I'd always liked the molecule and kind of made a mental note that, you know, this is a drug that does what it's meant to do. We know it stops neutrophils trafficking from the bone marrow to site of inflammation. And so we knew that it worked. Um, and for me, it was a drug searching for a disease. So I kind of made a mental note a number of years ago that if I ever decided to do something on my own, then this would be a good molecule to to go after. So when we decided to set the company up, first thing I did was call up my business development colleagues at AstraZeneca and say, you know, can I license the molecule? And I think I was probably about the only person in the organization that knew that that molecule existed because okay. it had kind of disappeared into the depths of the uh, the archives. Right. And we licensed the molecule and then set about, you know, repurposing it and deciding what we were going to do with it. Okay. And so when you make that, that kind of a, of, of a request to a large company, I mean, you had connections, so they knew who you were. It's not like you're coming in off the street. Is it a lengthy negotiation or is it a pretty quick negotiation where they say, hey, yeah, we'll let you do it. Here's how much it's going to cost. Is there a formula that they use? How does that work? Yeah, so, so you're right. I had an advantage. I mean, I knew the business development people. I knew the senior leaders right up to many Pangalos and, and Pascal Sorio. Um, very well. Um, so it was easy for me to to start the, the conversation. And both Manny and uh, Pascal said, yeah, if you think you can do something with this, then yeah, yeah, let's do it. The process of actually licensing it, however, and getting the agreement actually took nearly 12 months mm. of negotiation. Wow, okay. Yeah, so even, even, even though, you know, it was people I was familiar with, it's at the end of the day, it's business. Yeah, sure. Right? So, and everybody needs to get the, the best deal that they can. But, right. you know, we, we persevered and in parallel with that, we, we set about raising money um, for the company and, you know, brought the two together um, just over four years ago. It was August 2018 that we started okay. the company. Yeah, that's amazing. And so where, where's the company? You've, you said the team has grown. I mean, you shared the size of the, of the team. Uh, you're based here in San Diego, but tell us a little bit about kind of where you're at today and what, what you guys are working towards. Yeah, so we're, we're a clinical stage immunology focused uh, biotech. As I said, small team. We started off with four of us. There are nine of us now, so more than 100% uh, growth but still a small organization. Our lead molecule is the CXCR2 antagonist, RIST4721. And when we got it from AstraZeneca, you know, we, we needed to decide how we were going to develop it. AstraZeneca had been developing it for respiratory indications like asthma and COPD. We didn't want to go there. Um, and so basically, you know, we went back to first principles and started searching the scientific literature for diseases where neutrophils played a key role. And we identified neutrophilic dermatoses, so skin conditions that are driven by neutrophil inflammatory skin conditions, 
And then we narrowed that down to palma plantar pustulosis, or PPP, which is our lead indication. It's a, a rare inflammatory skin condition, affects about 175,000 people in the US, and it's characterized by sterile neutrophil-filled pustules on the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet, nowhere else in the body. Hmm. And these patients, it's, it's what's called a flaring disease. So these patients get six to eight flares a year where they get these outbreaks of pustules, associated inflammation. The pustules then dry up, the skin cracks open, still with the inflammation. And then before they even get resolution of the skin, they get another flare. So it's kind of you get flare upon flare upon flare and the skin gets worse and worse. And with it being on the, the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet, it's very debilitating. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes people, you know, can't, you know, can't work, can't, you know, operate equipment or sure. even type on a keyboard because there's so much pain. I would you probably can't pain. walk around a whole lot, and right? They, and they, yeah, they struggle probably. to walk. Yeah. So, you know, we decided that, you know, there was strong evidence that the neutrophils were playing a key role here. Um, big unmet medical need because it's a serious condition. No, treated, no treatments approved in either the US or Europe. And, you know, we felt that also we saw evidence that there were elevated levels of CXCR2-related biomarkers in the lesional skin of these patients. So, you know, we decided this was a good disease to go after, and we, we ran what's called a proof-of-concept study. It's a small 28-day uh, study, and we saw some nice activity of the molecule in terms of reducing the disease uh, activity. And we also saw nice movements in the CXCR2-related biomarkers in those patients. So, you know, that was sufficient for us to, to decide to, to move on and develop that further. And we are now in the middle of conducting a phase 2B dose-ranging study in PPP. That's a large study, 156 subjects, 52 subjects per arm. And then we've also expanded the development into three other diseases. Another inflammatory skin condition called hydratinitis suprativa, which or HS, easier to say. And then into two rheumatology conditions, familial Mediterranean fever and Bichette's disease, uh, both of which are actually pretty rare diseases in the US, about 20,000 patients each in the US. And we're, we're running proof of concept studies in, in those diseases. And we'll We'll get data from most of those trials round about this time next year. So we're going to be pretty busy over the next year, um, you know, conducting those trials yep. and uh, getting ready for the, the readout. All of that research and all those studies sounds sounds expensive. So yes, are, you must have either a, a nice a nice chunk of cash already here, or maybe your fundraising, or maybe a combination of both. Yeah, so maybe if I give you a little bit of the fundraising history. So, you know, ever grateful for Novo Ventures. They were the, uh, the venture capital company that, that funded our Series A. They were the sole investor in the company at that time. That was a $15 million Series A. And that allowed us to do the proof of concept study and also, you know, continue to de-risk the molecule by doing the toxicology studies, the, the manufacturing work, etc. And then when we decided to um, extend the development and take it into a broader range, we obviously needed to raise more money. And uh, about a year ago, back in July 2021, we closed a $63 million Series B round that was led by Fidelity with participation from Novo Ventures and then new investors, Tecla Capital and Arena Pharmaceuticals, who ah. you're probably familiar with yeah. from here in San Diego. And we'd actually been talking to Arena Pharmaceuticals um, for about, since about six months after the company, we, we formed the company. 
and they were very interested in what we were doing. And we, we got to know them and they got to know us over, you know, a couple of years period. And, you know, eventually, you know, they decided that they, they wanted to do a collaboration deal with us. And as well as their $10 million equity investment that they did, we signed a collaboration and option to acquire deal back in July last year as well, which gave Arena an exclusive option to acquire Aristea Therapeutics. And in return for that option, uh, they gave us uh, $60 million upfront, so non-dilutive cash into the company and agreed to fund an additional $10 million worth of R&D wow. work. So, you know, very nice deal in total. I mean, we, we raised... 123 million of new cash back in July last year. So, you know, we're in a, a very enviable position right now, given the financial markets that, yep. you know, we have actually more money than we need in order to deliver the program that will, you know, generate the data that will, you know, either result in them exercising the option or, you know, telling us that, you know, we've got data that we can move forward. Yep. Of course, um, as you know, Arena Pharmaceuticals was acquired by Pfizer yeah, um, earlier right. on this year. So the option to acquire Aristea Therapeutics sits with Pfizer um, now. Our interactions with Pfizer have been great so far. They're very active. We have a joint development committee, which they, they sit on, you know, which obviously, you know, makes the key decisions around the development of the, the molecule. Um, and then we just issued a press release a couple of weeks ago with some new board members that we were adding, including a, a new board advisor from Pfizer, uh, Mike Vincent, who's okay. their chief scientific officer, so very senior in the organization. And he's joined our board as a, as a board observer. Um, so interactions have been great uh, to date. Yeah, and you, you touched on something that's very true. A, a lot of other uh, companies and people that I've spoken with have kind of commented that it's become a much more difficult play, time and place to raise money. So you guys timed it well you got in hindsight i mean it's, you never know when you're doing it but it's much easier then i think than it would be now yeah you you you're right daniel and i think you know you you're right when i look back on it when we talk to many of the investment bankers and they they describe what we did um, back in july last year as a stroke of genius you know knowing what we know sure, now yeah, yeah. and you know, we, we knew back then that the life science financial market was beginning to drop. We had no idea it would get as bad as it was going to. But my philosophy has always been, if the money's there and people are prepared to invest, it's better to take the money and have it there in the bank so that you can develop the molecule. And that certainly turned out to be the right thing to do here. And, you know, compared to a lot of my CEO colleagues who are in a situation where, you know, either privately or publicly are, it's just impossible, not impossible, but very difficult to raise money right now. And a lot of these companies are, um, are really cash strapped um, and it's difficult for them to, uh, to be able to move forward their programs in the absence of additional funding. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a you know, decent number of companies here in San Diego that have gone public over the last couple of years. And I think in some cases viewed that as maybe a way to open up doors to additional capital. And it's, it's, it's changed very rapidly. So you kind of feel for people that they kind of just a little bit of bad luck where they, they went, for, went for something, made a decision, and in hindsight, maybe wish that they hadn't. Yeah, and and you know to be honest, when when Fidelity came in to to lead our Series B, I mean Fidelity's approach is normally to come into what they call a crossover round, which is the round before the IPO. And you know when they invested, you know that was our plan. We were going to have them as the foundation of the crossover round. 
do that crossover round and then would have been heading to an IPO probably earlier on this year. And then the arena deal came along and, you know, I persuaded my uh, board that it made sense for us to do what, just make it a Series B round and, and close that off at 63 million and do the arena deal in parallel and bring in, you know, 123 million was probably similar to what we would have brought in in an IPO. Yep. And in retrospect, it was a great decision because if we'd been trying to do an IPO this year, we would have been in real trouble because the market wasn't open and frankly, practically still not open at yep. this stage. Yep. So something that we talk about on this podcast a lot is, is I get people to give their take on the life science ecosystem here in San Diego. But a lot of times people, I, they have a different perspective than you because you actually play a part in the San Diego life science ecosystem outside of your of the company. You're involved in other organizations and you do a lot to kind of support the ecosystem in, in town here as a whole. Do you want to maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, happy to. And I mean, it's a it's been an interesting journey for me because, you know, when I came to, to run the Ardea organization back in 2013, I really knew nothing about San Diego apart from the convention center and the... Uh, and the, and the gas lamp area but beside it. And, you know, I had no idea about the innovation ecosystem that we had here. And, you know, one of the most important things, a, a colleague of mine, Bob Mishler, who now works for Acadia Pharmaceuticals, also San Diego company, he was part of the Ardea team. And the first week that I was here, he took me to a Biocom event. Okay. And at that Biocom event, I also got introduced to um, one of the members of staff from Connect, which is an innovation accelerator yep. here in San Diego. In fact, the oldest innovation accelerator. And it really intrigued me. And um, Connect works across, across both life science and all, all tech verticals. And that really intrigued me. And I thought, well, this is an opportunity for me to really learn about what's actually going on here in San Diego. And so I got involved with the Connect organization, you know, within two or three weeks of me of me being here. So I've been on the board and the executive team for nine years now, was chair of the finance committee for four years, vice chair for two years when we did the, the merger with the San Diego Venture Group. And then I'm actually two thirds of the way through my two year period as chair of the board of directors. And, you know, the, the innovation ecosystem that we have here, both from a life science and a, a tech perspective is just truly incredible. I mean, the number of entrepreneurs that we have here, the number of startup and growth companies, the venture capital money that we're bringing in. I mean, back in 2015, San Diego companies brought in a, a billion dollars of venture capital Last year, it was $9 billion. Wow. So it's yeah. been a huge um, increase. We're, you know, blessed with, you know, fantastic universities and research institutes. But I think, Daniel, the thing for me that makes San Diego special is the really collaborative nature of everybody here. People, right now, and I, I noticed this right from when I arrived, is that, first of all, people are delighted that you're here. Yep. Um, and secondly, they want you to succeed. And they'll do whatever they can to help you to succeed, even if you're a competitor of theirs, because yeah. they see success, you know, being success for San Diego and, you know, they, the tide lifting all the, all the boats. Yeah. You know, so I'm heavily involved in Connect. We, we ran a, a massive innovation day at Petco Park back in April called 51030. And the, the reason behind the name is, you know, what we do now has impact in five years, 10 years, and 30 years. And really, we're just trying to take the innovation ecosystem to the next step. And the idea here is that, you know, we'll 
um, have this celebration of innovation every year. Um, we're going to, you know, we have this, Mike Crenn, the CEO of Connect, has this big aspiration to create something like South by Southwest here okay. in San Diego. Okay. And we've got some interesting plans for next year, which I, I can't tell you about yet, but is hopefully going to be the first step to to doing that. So, you know, you know, for anybody in San Diego that's listening, Connect's a great organization to get involved in. I've also been um, on the board of directors of Biocom for the last eight years. Another great organization, now a California-wide organization, an organization that every life science company should be should be part of. Yep. Also being involved in, uh, I was a board member on the EDC, the Economic Development Corporation, for a couple of years. Stayed closely involved with them. And then recently, you know, joined the Board of Advisors of Life Science Care San Diego, which I know you're yeah. part of as well. Yep. Great organization. And also started to get involved in um, SD Squared, which is an organization that a good ex-Connect colleague of mine, H. Puentes, started off with Bill Rastetter in order to really try and help, you know, underprivileged, underserved school kids and, and um, students get into science and technology. Um, so another great organization. But for me, this is, I actually think this is the best innovation ecosystem in America. I know that we're in size, third behind Boston and San Francisco, but Boston and San Francisco do not have the collaboration that we have here. So I think there are great things ahead for for San Diego as far as innovation is concerned. Yeah, no, you made some really good points. I think um, it's, it, it, maybe I think if you're, if you're the largest market in the country, maybe then there, there's some, you're worried that other people are gonna be nipping at your heels. You feel like maybe it's more of a, a doggy dog world where being number three, there's still a lot of room for growth. You feel like you, 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 you can still go up. And so a, a lot of people have shared what you just shared that it's very collaborative and everybody here seems to view a success, not as a loss for yourself, but as as a win for San Diego and a win for the ecosystem. That's, so that's absolutely that's right. People people just really want to help and see companies succeed. And then, you know, San Diego has this amazing approach where you know companies get developed. They you know some of them get bought out by big pharma, and then all those people that were part of those companies are kind of you know seeded back out into the innovation ecosystem. And essentially, that's what we did with Aristea. I mean, yep. we had a very successful company with Ardea. And, you know, we the founding team were all Ardea employees. And, you know, we decided to to set up something new and continue the, the journey. Yeah. Well, and it seems like it's been a great journey so far. It has. Yeah. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And some exciting times to, to come. Um, as well, you know, it's, and if that's not enough, you know, as well as the day job, I also sit on the board of four private companies. I don't know how you have time uh, for all this. Well, you know, <laughs> I think I think you make time. Yeah. And if you have the opportunity to spend time with quality people that are doing really innovative things, then it's not a chore at all. Uh, you know, three of those three of those uh, private companies are here in San Diego. And uh, one of them's on the on the East Coast. So again, lots of different technologies, but again, great fun, and it gives me the opportunity, you know, to impart, you know, my experience and expertise to people who are maybe just setting out on that journey. And you know, in a sense, it's easy for me to do that because you know I just need to share my expertise with them and let them let them learn from it in the, any way that they want. Yep, good point. Well said. So I think that wraps it up. James, great. this has been great. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks a lot for making time. 
we'll hopefully have you on here again. We can maybe kind of get an update on the progress of the company and every other, all the organizations you're involved with. But again, thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, Daniel. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Yep. Thanks for listening to the Biotech and Breweries podcast. If you found this episode interesting, please share it with a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app. For more information or to suggest a guest, please visit biotechandbreweries.com.